Welcome, everyone. This week on The Changelog, we are talking with our good friend, Matt Ryer, whom you may know from our GoTime podcast. Matt created an awesome open source tool for putting darn near anything in your Mac's toolbar. It was initially written in Objective-C, but Matt recently gave it a big rewrite in Go and a big rename from BitBar to XBar. Now, if you don't use a Mac, don't hit skip on this episode quite yet. There are lessons to be learned for anyone interested in hacking on tools to make your life better. Plus, with this rewrite, Matt has positioned XBar to go cross-platform, and we talk about that too. Big thanks to our partners Fastly, LaunchDarkly, and Linode. Our bandwidth is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Get your feature flags powered by LaunchDarkly. Get a demo at LaunchDarkly.com. And you know we love Linode. They keep it fast and simple. Check them out at linode.com. This episode is brought to you by Influx Data, the makers of InfluxDB, a time series platform for building and operating time series applications. InfluxDB empowers developers to build IoT, analytics, and monitoring software. It's purpose-built to handle massive volumes and countless sources of timestamp data produced by sensors, applications, and infrastructure. Learn about the wide range of use cases of InfluxDB at influxdata.com solutions, network monitoring, IoT monitoring, infrastructure and application monitoring. To get started, head to influxdata.com changelog and click get InfluxDB. Again, that's influxdata.com changelog. Today we're joined by a GoTime panelist and the world-renowned Captain Jack Sparrow impersonator himself. It's Matt Ryer. Hey, Matt. Pleasure to be here, mate. I love your podcasts. Uh, I listen to them all on the Black Pearl, mate. <laughs> See, I knew he would have to break into it if I just brought it up. So yeah. that was... Uh... That's why I'm not allowed to see the doc. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well That's played, right. Matt. That's thanks right. for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure, and I do mean that. I would say similar to Jack Sparrow, Go Time would not be Go Time without Matt, the same way that the Pirates of the Caribbean would not be what it is without Jack Sparrow. It's quite a compliment. Like, quintessential piece to the puzzle, that's for sure. Well, I have so much fun doing it, and I meet such interesting people, and you can tell we have so much fun, I think, when you listen to it. So it's just a kind of joy, really, to do. So I appreciate, I appreciate doing it. Really. The number one question we ask is, how'd you find us? And it's usually by way of Go Time. Mm. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very often, at least. Not usually, but very often. Right. Okay. Once in a while. Once in a while. Well, actually, twice now. We've walked that one back. Yeah, two people, actually. Well, we're hoping We're hoping somebody will say it soon. You've gunned down a couple of No rounds. one's ever said it. Every <laughs> once in a while. The next thing they see after that is, I don't even write good, yeah. but I love that show. That's the best you, I have right. had people say that to me. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, what are they doing? <laughs> it's like we fooled you. Why would you? What's your problem? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. What are you coding? Yeah. Not go. Okay. <laughs> But I listen to GoTime every every week. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is nice because we, we do try and cover subjects beyond just the language right. as well. And there's, there's yeah. so much in tech um, to talk about. So I do like the fact that we do that. We did one recently on TDD, Test Driven Development. We really didn't talk about Go very much at all. It was, um, but it's the, it's the ideas that just apply yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's why the community lens to that show was very important to get to because that lets you do that. Like what is the community really would appreciate hearing from 
these people that represent this community that, you know, thrive in this community. I think that's the secret sauce, in my opinion. It's what I love most about the show is the community aspect of it. It's not just, you know, sure, you are a good centerpiece of the show and you bring a lot to it, but it's not just you. It's a cadre of mm-hmm. awesome people involved and you bring your own perspectives and your own, you know, thoughts from the community and your own insights and whatnot. That's what makes the show really special. Yeah, I lo- I, like I said, I love doing it. So one thing I've learned over the last couple of years that you've been on the show is that you came to go in kind of a strange way. It seems strange to me, which mm. correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like you wanted to use App Engine and App Engine <laughs> supported Go and maybe Python. I don't know, maybe C++, but you're like, well, I'll take Go. Is that basically the way it went down? Because you've been using Go a long time. Yes. So, I mean, it's stuck. Yeah, it was before it was even released, and it was Java or Python were the two options, and I didn't know okay. either of them. Yeah, and, and you also didn't know Go though. Didn't know Go, but Go had a little EXP experimental badge on it, which is you know very enticing, and I sort of <laughs> like a magpie couldn't resist it. And <laughs> funnily enough, I was able to build something very quickly, and that's a nice thing as a developer. It gives you confidence to carry on, and yeah. I kind of like get a bit hooked on building things and you get a payoff very quickly when you can deliver things quickly so that's what happened Mm. and it just kept going and yeah and because the thing i was building was also kind of perfect for go it really fit into what go was i guess for originally so yeah it was just nice it's just kind of lucky and i really got very lucky that's why i'm on go time is because i've been around for ages yeah and you know how long how long now you've been writing go it is about 10 years. It might be a bit more than 10 years. Go isn't even that old, or it might just be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it's about 10 or 11 or 12. Our birthdays are very similar. It was around, because we interviewed Rob Pike, I think it was episode three, I want to say. Oh. Mm. I have to check the catalog, but like, this was so early days. We're like, you know, should we even do this show? It's a new language from Google. Yes, of course. But I mean, like, I didn't know who Rob Pike was. That's how green I was at the time. Mm. And it was right around the time we were born as a, podcast the change all way back in 2009 and that was the same time frame yeah that's amazing isn't it and i remember the first yeah. GopherCon in 2014 and i happened to be living in denver colorado at the time and that's where the conference was so it was just mm-hmm. like down the street so i just <laughs> walked mm-hmm. down the street and went to this conference and just met all these kind of great people brian and eric and the team at GopherCon and Mm-hmm. I think Kelsey Hightower I met there as well. You know, it was just like a group of nice people. And one thing that stood out to me is they made a point of diversity. It was something they kept repeating on stage. You know, they wanted to make the community wel- uh, a welcoming place for everybody. And that's something that's always been important to me. So that really resonated. And yeah. it just felt like, yeah, this is like this is the right way to do it. We definitely mm-hmm. felt that love too, because neither Adam nor I are gophers in the sense of Go programmers, but Go Time was the second show. I mean, that was the one that we launched into, or was it RFC? Those were both around the same time. But Go Time was definitely- Go Time was it. first. Okay. Well, second, first, first, second. First, second, yeah. Because we felt the love too, specifically from Brian and Eric and many others in the Go community. It's like, this is a mm-hmm. really welcoming, fun group and they want us here. And so, hey, let's do a show you know, with and for them was really why GoTime started. Yeah, that's great. And I actually think GoTime has become quite an important part of the community as well. That's why it is really an honor if I'm being genuine for five minutes. <laughs> you have to say it again because we're never sure with you. Is it sarcasm? Is it 
Straightforward. This is genuine sarcasm. This is genuine here. You're eating into the five minutes where I'm going to be genuine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. We don't give anybody five minutes. You got two and a half. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think go time, you know, has become a big part of that story as well. And, you know, yeah. it's nice to go back and listen to random episodes in the past as well. That's a very fun thing to do. And yeah. it's all just kind of mm-hmm. open and free for everyone to listen to. I think it's great. So I'm really glad you did start it. So are we. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think even it's also not on this side to be a steward of that thing, you know, like that importance, you know, I think that's, we hold that responsibility very dear to hearts to deliver that. Yeah, you can tell. Well, I'm not being sarcastic when I say go time today wouldn't be what it is without you because you invented the unpopular opinion segment, which really has become kind of a, a staple of the show and something that brings people to listen who don't care about go or right go, but they want to hear about these unpopular opinions. Yeah. That was all you, man. That was all you. Yeah. Well, I remember, you know, it was a kind of meme on Twitter, which it still is. Yeah. And it was a sort of this idea. It's a very tongue in cheek segment. There's something cheeky about the spirit of go time. I think that I think people do appreciate and I get mm-hmm. feedback in that vein occasionally. So yeah, it was. And then, you know, making the theme tune, like, taking this silly idea way too seriously. Exactly. I always find to be very funny. So seriously that we take polls to find out if they're actually unpopular, (laughs) you know? So like, (laughs) like I say in the intro, this is very serious business. You know, we got to find out how unpopular these opinions are. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's unpopular opinions. And if your opinion is popular, (laughs) you've really failed. (laughs) Yeah. You're really not good at this. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I do hold a record as a, one of the most unpopular, unpopular opinions of all time. Mm-hmm. So I do like to hold that over your head. Jump I have one of the most unpopular, which what was should it? I just tell them what it was or should we hold out Please. and make them go listen? Yeah. So my unpopular opinion was that I believe that JS Party is a better podcast than Go Time. And I make a great case for it on the show. So maybe we should link that one up. Yeah. But the Go community did not agree with me whatsoever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I lost a segment on there. Do you know? Oh, the, my part? Two minutes? 60, 90 seconds. Yeah. Oh, play that right now. So I'm not going to come on a podcast about Go and say that JavaScript is a better programming language than they go. I'm no fool. You know, I want to walk out of here alive. <laughs> but I will happily start a proxy war by saying that JS Party is a superior podcast to Go Time. You're off the show. You're off the show. (laughs) Let me quantify this a bit, okay? I have some evidence. So more is better, okay? We have more panelists. We have more male panelists. We have more female panelists. We have more variety. We play game shows. We host formal debates. We write and rehearse poems. We explain things to each other like we're five. You guys don't explain anything to each other like you're five. (laughs) Go Time records on Tuesdays, one of the worst days of the week. JS Party records on Thursdays. Thursday is closer to the weekend, obviously better. Mm. We cover more topics. Go time is about Go. JS Party is about JavaScript and the web. That's twice as many things. That's cheating. That's cheating. That's twice as many things. And we know the web is huge. So tons of variety. You can't take HTTP to a JS Party. (laughs) So in review. See, we do poetry. We have more awesome panelists. We have more variety. It's on a better day. And this is the big finale point. You're going to like this one. JS Party has 100% less Matt Ryer. Which means <laughs> we really cut down on those awkward silences. <laughs> oh, wow. That was quite the pitch. 
<laughs> it was good, wasn't it? Really well said, I would <laughs> yeah. say. Really well said. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Well, yeah. it's funny. It's funny because I think that also as an idea is quite funny of tech wars. And some people really yeah. do take it very seriously in arguing about languages and things. And, you know, Go right. and JavaScript together, you can make some amazing things. So, yeah. But the That's JS Party is a good podcast, but I don't know. <laughs> better podcast not okay. as good as so that's the thing too on that front the wars thing like i want to just scream same team mm. right like this war thing like it's good to compete competition is great so i'm always in favor of that but the warring the actual fighting yeah sometimes even name calling it's too much it doesn't help anybody really like we're here to innovate the future of technology not win the individualized war right yeah yeah i think it comes from a place sometimes of if you're inexperienced, you don't want to waste your time with something. You want there to be a language that's the one to learn so you can really focus. And so I think people are drawn to these tech wars for that reason. I know lots of examples of that where people, because they're new, they get sort of caught up in it. And I think with experience, when you've tried different languages and you realize that some are better at some things than others and everything has its place, and sometimes it might just be what you find fun is the important thing. Yeah. And then once you've done that, you realize that, yeah, it is quite silly to be sort of fighting over this. And we are better off when we use them together in the right way. Well, maybe something that speaks highly of the community then is that many people don't know this, but I produce both of those shows and I also contribute to both of the Twitter handles. And I've been trying to start a gang fight for a while. <laughs> Matt, you know this. Yeah. I've been trying to get JS Party versus Go Time to be a thing. You know, I was thinking like, Remember that scene in Anchorman where all the rival, you know, weather <laughs> yeah. guys show up and news the rival teams. news people show up and they actually have like a, a slash and dash in the back alley. That's Anchorman. Yeah, an Anchorman. Right? I'm like, yeah. let's get that going between our podcasts because, you know, that would be great for interest. Yeah. And no one's biting. So, I mean, I think like the actual war in between the JS group and the Go group is like, eh, it's surface level, but there's no teeth there. Yeah. We love each other, really. Yeah. Brick killed a guy. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's seen it. Nice yeah. reference. Just to uh, loop back a little bit, I did confirm episode three of the change log. It was in fact titled "The Go Programming Language from Google," with Rob Pike, principal engineer at Google and co-creator of Go. Yeah. So, way back when. Confirmed. Go back and listen to that awesome but terribly produced show. I mean, it probably sounds terrible, but great content, obviously. Mm -hmm. Different show back then, for sure. Mm. Well, Matt, we didn't bring you on here just to talk about Go Time for the entire show. We brought you on to talk about Bitbar and Xbar, which mm. are written in Go. Yes. And one is a rewrite of the other. Let's start with Bitbar. Let's start with the origin, what it is, why you made it, what it does, and then we'll talk about the rewrite and where it stands now and all that good stuff. Yeah, okay. Well, it was many moons ago. I don't know exactly how many moons, but it was probably around 2014. Bitcoin had just kind of come out and I bought some Bitcoin and I had actually at one point 16 Bitcoin. So you can calculate. Are you still holding? No, I'm not. You can calculate. <laughs> you wouldn't be on the show if you were. <laughs> yeah, I'd be on, <laughs> you wouldn't need us. I'd be on a much uh, higher class podcast. Right That's now. right. Yeah. Yeah. So 2,555 moons, just so you know. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. It's yeah, but how moons. many 
How many U.S. dollars, though? No, or sorry, don't, don't uh, calculate British pounds. <laughs> or sorry, euros. Thirty-five million, <laughs> forty-seven million euros. So you had sixteen Bitcoin, and you must have wanted to watch the price of those Bitcoins in your menu bar. I'm putting this together. Is that right? There you go. Exactly right. So I want to just see the Bitcoin price in my menu bar, and there wasn't really a way to do it. There was no app to do it. So I started to build the little project just for myself, and that's why it's called Bitbar because it comes from Bitcoin. Gotcha. And I realized that I was able to get the menu bit done. I was doing it in Objective-C, which I didn't really know. So I was able to get the menu bar pieces working, but I couldn't make a web request to save my life in Objective-C. I'm not kidding. If you look at the code you need to do it... I've done a little bit of it. It's not straightforward. Yeah, it's at least... Maybe it's 15 lines of code if you do it properly, and I wasn't doing it properly. So... It was just sort of a pain point of doing that. So I thought, well, I know how to do this with curl. So maybe I'll just do that and I'll learn how to run a sub process. So you wouldn't do that, I think, if you knew what you were doing. No. But what that did is it gave a sort of abstraction and meant actually that you could write other scripts, which the output of which could go into the menu bar. Mm. And so then I thought, yeah, that's quite nice because, you know, it's not just what I want this for. In theory, other people could write it or I could just write other ones myself. And so I open sourced it and I used it and a few people joined in and added some features. Actually, they added some great features like image support and colors and different fonts and things. And then I think it was 2016, it popped into the top of Hacker News and suddenly then it sort of went crazy and, and got all this attention and just sort of randomly, you know, at this point it was a couple of years old and it's just been sat there dormant as far as I knew. You'd sold your Bitcoin, you moved on. Yeah. Didn't Were need you still it using it to track anything else? Yeah, I use it for lots of things. I mean, uh, back then, 2016. Oh, yeah, probably, because there were always little things that I just would, you know, at the time I what I cared about, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's very hackable because it's basically, if you write an executable, any executable in any language you like, as long as it prints to standard out, each line becomes a menu item in the menu. And there's a special way that you can say, cycle through these items in the actual menu bar and then show these items in the drop down. And then people added support for if I click this item, then I'm going to run some code and do some action, you know. Mm-hmm. It was always very hackable, and that means that it attracts developers' attention, you know, because it's it's a fun thing, and it's almost like the boring bit of figuring out how to do the menus is done for you, and you just get to use your knowledge of something else to then build something. And that's what happened when it got to the top of Hacker News. Suddenly, there was this influx of plugins, people writing all sorts of things and solving all kinds of crazy problems. Well, that had to be a pleasant surprise. How many times did you have to submit it before it popped in? <laughs> I just missed it. Yeah, no, I did. Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> every day, once a day, every day, finally in 2016, it got on Hacker News. <laughs> I actually don't think you can do that, can you? Uh, I don't know. Once you submit it once. No. True, true duke. True it duke. might actually go in, but it probably gets buried immediately. Yeah. Yeah, it's not my style. I think there's a time, there's a statute of limitations. If you submit the same URL that's been submitted recently, I'm not sure what recently means, it will mm. just upvote it. So it'll ah. count as an upvote, oh, which makes okay. sense. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. No, it was True Duke on Hacker News posted it. True Duke? Um, yeah, True One Duke. Of your, 
sock puppets. Don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah. So, what kind of user base did that did, came out of that? Because a lot of the hacker news folks, you know, they kind of hit it and quit it. You know, it's like big old interest and then here today, gone today. But you have substantial contributors, and it, like you said, it's an open plugin kind of a infrastructure because as long as you can create a program that writes the standard out in the format that you specify then you can write a plugin pretty easily. So is that what really got all these people writing plugins? Yeah, I think so. I think it's the ease at which you can contribute something and the immediate payoff you get. It's that same thing that attracted me to Go, the fact that I was able to deliver something very quickly. I think that also applies there. And you can kind of do it at development time. You can make a script and iterate on it and refresh it and you just see it live updating and stuff. So the development process is very easy. And that was kind of an accident, if I'm honest. I've since mm. learned to really pay attention to developer experience, user experience, even of dev tools or maybe especially of dev tools. But yeah. I think it was a bit of a got lucky, really, with that design. I love that happy accident because it was like your lack of objective C skills accidentally created a very nice abstraction that you probably would have bypassed. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And you're like, wow, this is actually a pretty nice layer because I can just shove whatever else I want in there as long as it conforms. Now I cannot just do Bitcoin. Yeah, that's it. It's kind of like mm -hmm. taking a weakness and sort of owning it and, you know what I mean, turning it into a strength. And that's the thing, yeah. like, often you see people, they sort of like want to either compete or they feel like they don't know enough to contribute and so won't. And the lesson I think there is that sometimes do something different. You know, if you know something, maybe you can contribute in a different way. It doesn't have to be the obvious way. And I think that's quite nice as well. So step back, think outside the box and see if there are other ways you can do it. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was kind of a weakness of mine where it just kind of turned into a strength. Mm -hmm. What about that day though? Like the, the Hacker News Day where it was popular. How did you find out, you know, how did you react, you know, in terms of like, did you dig your heels in and like get back in with the community and start writing code again? You said it was dormant. So kind of how did you react to this new claim fame? Yeah, so there were 65 pull requests in one day and I was getting an email for all of it. So that's how I found out. I just suddenly had loads of spam. And that was a big surprise. I had to take a day off work because, you know, I wanted to reply to people in the community and, and also wanted to get the plugins merged into the repo so that other people could use them. So this instant community sprung up. It wasn't something that grew organically. It was all of a sudden there were lots of people using this and lots of people contributing to it. So... It was great. It was like, you know, winning the lottery or something and, and very exciting, but also kind of nerve wracking. And the code, the original code wasn't great. I mean, I really didn't know Objective-C very well at all. People even submitted fixes where, you know, you have to manage your own memory then. They've since added the ARC stuff, the automatic reference counting for objects and memory allocation. Mm -hmm. They didn't have that. So you have to retain objects and release them at the right time and things like that. So that's actually really difficult to get right. And so I think people also contributed there and fixed things and helped out, you know. So, yeah, I was kind of a bit nervous and a bit kind of worried about that. 
but also just basically very excited that there were all these plugins and I was excited by what the plugins were doing. It was kind of people building amazing things with this and it was great. This episode is brought to you by our friends at LaunchDarkly, feature management for the modern enterprise, power testing in production at any scale. Here's how it works. LaunchDarkly enables development teams and operation teams to deploy code at any time, even if a feature isn't ready to release to users. Wrapping code with feature flags gives you the safety to test new features and infrastructure in your production environments without impacting the wrong end users. When you're ready to release more widely, update the flag status and the changes are made instantaneously by the real-time streaming architecture. Eliminate risk, deliver value, get started for free today at LaunchDarkly.com. Again, LaunchDarkly.com. So go back to 2016, you got all this excitement, you got all these people writing. You have basically, I get, I would think it's like a relatively finished piece of Objective-C software that can read from any kind of executable. Why rename it? Why, we know that it's a rewrite, but why rewrite it? This is like, mm. you know, Joel Spolsky's gonna be mad at you. Or who was it that wrote the big rewrite post? Joel Spolsky. Sure. Was it Joel? Yeah, so I mean, you know, second rewrite syndrome or whatever yeah. it's called. Don't do a rewrite. Just keep on keeping on. Yeah. Say. But you yeah. didn't do that. No, no. I think I, I kind of know where they're coming from with that. But if the language dies, maybe do a rewrite. You know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well said. Yeah. Objective-C really, you know, I started doing Go, obviously. So I was just spent all my time on Go and not doing Objective-C. And then Swift came out. So then people are using Swift instead. And so mm-hmm. not just me, it was, I couldn't find contributors to help maintain the project. And there were some issues in some cases. And as the operating systems changed, I was going to say, that's got to be the problem, right? Yeah. Little things like the vertical alignment of the text suddenly was different and needed work and turned out to just be not easy to solve, especially if you don't know Objective-C. So it kind of started going stale and we just weren't able to keep it alive. And so, yeah, the decision came as like, you know, people were asking for it and there were other projects that supported the Bitbar plugins, the now called Xbar. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's definitely people still liked it and were still using it. So it seemed like the right thing to do. And we did a GoTime episode with the creator of Wales, which is a Go-powered and JavaScript, see, best friends. Front end, mm. it has it's a it's desktop app for desktop applications. What does that mean? <laughs> Is that what that means? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Explain that, please. It's a framework for building desktop applications using JavaScript as the front end and Go as the back end. And you know, it uses a web view. And with clever styling and some other tricks, it really, you know, like you can do transparency in the window, for example. So it looks and feels like a real native app on the Mac. And so we did that episode, which you can probably go back and listen to with Lee Anthony. And I was chatting to Lee one day on Twitter and, you know, he was telling me about Wales 2, the rewrite that he was doing. And I asked him like, would, do you think we'd be able to put together a 
a desktop app for this and, and interact with the menu bars and things and support this. He was a little tipsy because he's in Australia. He lives in Australia. So even he's, he's from Wales, not the project okay. from the country Wales. The project Which Wales. Is why is, he called it Wales. It is. Although, yeah, because okay. it's like Rails. It was like web-based Rails. Yeah. So I think it was that. So I was texting him in and he was tipsy, I think is the polite way to say it. So he was agreeing. He was like all over this idea of loving it. And I, I was like, okay, well, maybe uh, wait till the morning and see if you still feel the same. And then, you know, about 10 hours later, I just got, I just got a message. It just said in, in all caps, I regret nothing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, yeah, we really set about, awesome. we set about build, writing the rewrite and we got to write it in Go. So that's nice. That means now, you know, the X-Bar project now is maintainable and we can work on it and it's well structured and it makes sense. And, you know, a rewrite is, I think, often better than the first version anyway, because you learn so much from that first version. So it is, you know, it kind of manifests that idea and yeah. it, mm -hmm. it looks nice, you know, and it's, it, we built a plugin browser, which, you know, because it's a proper desktop app, it has transparency in the window. So it just looks gorgeous. And the project came back to life. So I loved it. That's cool. So I think project size also matters when it comes to the rewrite. Mm -hmm. I imagine a lot of BitBar was the plugins, which were written in non-Objective-C. And I'm assuming do those all those all you just adopted the same format, so those probably all work with XBar. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. One of the goals was all the plugins had to work because we didn't want people to write have to rewrite or change their plugins in any way. So that's something I learned from Go is that backwards compatibility promise is so meaningful. It's not just a nice to have. It's actually it takes more effort, yeah. but it's so worth it and. It's kind of get showing respect to everybody that's contributed to the project. Right. So, I mean, people warn against the big rewrite, mm. but small rewrite, not so bad, especially when the first version, I mean, it's kind of like you just shipped a prototype for a while. I mean, we're supposed to throw away our first versions, right? Yeah. Like that's one of the problems with a lot of software is we write our prototype and a prototype is not meant to be the production piece of thing, right? It's mm -hmm. supposed to be like the first version by which you build the real thing. But we tend to just put those things into production and just build and add on to them over time. It's smart to write a thing. I mean, that's why they have the term spike, right? Go spike out a thing, proof of concept, a prototype, and then write it for real. Now, yours was just a really long, I mean, you could think of it like a really long one of those. Mm -hmm. And then when it came time to take it seriously after it has a user base, it's found niche, et cetera, now let's do it, take what we learned, and let's do it in a language that you're very proficient in and do it right the second time. So I think that's wise. Yeah, I agree. I think that probably is a nice way to think about it. I mean, I like rewrites, actually. Hemingway famously said, there is no writing but rewriting or something like that, where when you're writing something, the first version of it really isn't... Yeah thing yet you have whatever to, that quote looked like the first time he's, he wrote it yeah it's probably awful <laughs> it's probably like it's probably awful writing but not writing but do it twice it's probably that <laughs> you know what i mean didn't quite yeah exactly <laughs> yeah he couldn't form well a lot of our thoughts are formed through the process right yes that's where yeah. you're getting that's i agree I'm, that's where i'm getting yeah he was also famous for the shortest story i believe ever for sale baby shoes never worn oh, oh. mm-hmm it's a little bit dark, so sorry about that. No, but... We're going to kill the mood, Adam. No, but yeah, that's my bad. kind of beautiful. 
you know, that's the thing though. People, you know, writing code and writing words though is very, I think you have to draw a parallel there because I think famously Hemingway also said everything you're always writing, just get it out there, whatever it is, just get it out there. Cause it's, it's like, you know, temporary art until it's perceived and executed upon. And it can actually be, you know, iterated upon, you know, others can view it. You know, it's, it's something it's, it's substantial at that point. Yeah. And, you know, we make this big deal about rewrites. And I think contextually, as you've said, it does make sense. Yeah. The argument is contextual. Yeah. Yeah. You just learn. It's what you learn in that process. And honestly, even to the point where I really resist designing software too much, there is obviously value in designing software and you should be designing software, but you can definitely very easily over-design up front. And then you're sort of locked in to these ideas you had at the beginning when you knew the least. Right. And so, yeah, I think through that process and the learning that pops out of that and the opportunities that pop out too, I didn't design X-Bar the way it was. I got there because I tried to make a simple web request using Objective-C and I couldn't do it because of NSURL <laughs> request object didn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oh, it's a nightmare. Oh, I know you're not. That's why it's funny. <laughs> and yeah, so I took the opportunity then. So is Wales cross-platform then? Yes, Wales is cross-platform, which means XBAR will be cross-platform. And that is That's also cool. very exciting. Yes. Yeah, so you get that for free. So, so BitBar and XBAR today is a Mac OS menu bar app, right? Yes, that's right. But in the future, it will become cross-platform. And of course, all the plugins won't necessarily make sense because a lot of them are specific to a Mac. So mm. there will have to be some way. There is actually metadata inside each plugin. And I actually wouldn't mind spending some time talking about the design, the, the design of the API as well, yeah. because it's... Totally. Yeah, it kind of has its own benefits too. But there's metadata in there, essentially, inside the plugin somewhere. It can be anywhere in the code, usually in comments, so you can't see it. And of course, the comments can look like anything because you can write plugins in any language. So we'll probably have metadata that says which platform it's for, for the plugins, and we'll be able to then, maybe the multiple platforms, because... It doesn't say it could be multiple platforms, even. Yeah. One plugin. Yeah. So XBAR parses arbitrary language comments in order to extract... Metadata? That sounds like a bad idea. Yeah, it's does it? Well, it works. <laughs> it just sounds harder than just like, well, why don't you just define a format for metadata? Oh, no, there is a format, but it's okay. like XML tags, but they can just appear anywhere in the file. You know, it's very oh, loose. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. you meant you could just willy-nilly any sort of put a comment wherever no. you want. Because like you said, different languages indicate comments in different ways. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't sound quite so bad. It sounds no, pretty no, bad at first, not so thank you for clarifying. Yes, that's all right. But that's nice because in XBAR we added like variable support. One of the things that lots of the plugins had was if you had to configure something, like if you've got a, one of them's a currency, shows you the currency rate. So you edit the script and choose the currency that you want to see. Well, what we wanted to do is make that user experience a little bit better. So we added explicit support for variables, which just are their environment variables, really. You define them in the metadata. They show up in the UI and let you edit them. And then when XBAR runs the plugin, it sends those environment variables in, you use them in the script, and that's now how you do configuration and things like that. So okay. that's a new feature that came from XBAR that we didn't have in BitBar. So tell us more about the feel and the process of writing Go with Wales 
in order to produce what it will be a cross-platform, but is a desktop application. You said it's like web technologies. Can you tell us what that felt like to use Whales and to build a, a Go project that's going to run on a Mac, like as a binary, or maybe even just the distribution and stuff would be interesting? Yeah, yeah. Well, fortunately, the Whales project does a lot of the heavy lifting for you. I mean, you essentially have your own, you can use your own UI frameworks. And I quite enjoy building UIs as well. So I got into Svelte, which is a UI JavaScript framework. And it has similar philosophy as Go in that it tries to be minimalist. It doesn't do everything. You can't, it doesn't give you all these complicated features. It gives you a small feature set, just enough. And therefore it's kind of easier to use. And it also has this other effect that I'm sure is well known, but this basically does a lot of its work at compile time, not at runtime. So in theory, that makes the projects much faster when you use them. And to be honest, you do notice that, I think. It's, they're very snappy UIs when you use Svelte. So that was it. Front-end was Svelte. There's an API that, that Wales gives you. You can, just expose our, you can just expose Go methods to the front-end and call them in JavaScript. It's all transparent, so it's very easy. And it's kind of like promise API. So you make a call to the back end, you get back a promise. If there's an error, then you know you cat use the catch to handle it. Um so it's very natural like building yeah. a web with a server like and the, but the server just happens to be running locally on the machine. And then the Wales tools packages it all up and bundles it together into a single binary. And then you run it and that's it. And there's a bit of work to do, like to turn it into a Mac app. You have to put it into a certain folder with extra bits of metadata and things. It's quite trivial and the Wales project really helps do that. Mm. So it felt very natural to me because I build a lot of server client applications like that. And it's a joy to use really. Lee had to do work in Wales to support menus because it wasn't a priority. If you think about a desktop app, you know, accessing the menu bar is not really something that most apps do. So one of the, we made a deal and he agreed to add support to Wales for Mm. that. And in exchange, I sent him a MacBook M1. Nice. MacBook Air. Nice. Good deal. That's a good deal for both of you. That's a good sponsor. Right there. Well, he also wanted to make sure Wales worked natively on M1. So it was really a good kind of win-win all round yeah. situation. You know what I mean? So that was nice. And he's a genuinely lovely bloke as well, which helps, doesn't it? When you yeah. like people. And he regrets nothing. <laughs> he regrets nothing. I've got proof. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best email <laughs> subject ever. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. So you had all these BitBar users. I know it's some awesome. big Mac people. Like I read about... I think it was BitBar first, and I already knew you at this time, but I read about it on Jason Snell's website, who mm-hmm. is a you know Mac-based writer and journalist and has a big following, his writing. How is the reception to XBar? Has everybody moved over? Is everybody excited? Was there any like laggards or complaints? What's the situation with XBar? Well, everybody is happy to just switch over because if you're a user of BitBar, XBar is just it had feature parity. It's the same thing, yeah. Yeah, so there's no Plus. reason to not like it, yeah. And, you know, the other thing that happened, which was very exciting, was this is a little bit, just back to when it was BitBar. Years ago, when I was young, I used to get this Amiga format magazine, which was a 
computer magazine. It had floppy disks on the front okay. and it had like, you know, it'd give you free stuff and you could have programs inside it and all sorts. And this was like, I loved this. I think for my birthday, I got a subscription to this magazine. So every month I remember my dad would always, it was worked in the mines. So he'd get up very early. So he'd usually get up and get the post and then leave the magazine by my bed. So I'd always remember like very tired, but just so excited that it was there. I knew it was there and I couldn't wait to wake up, but you know, it was too early. And so I've kind of this lots of nostalgia around that particular magazine for that okay. reason. And then years later, I didn't, I didn't really bother with magazines because the internet tells you all the things. So, and I just randomly bought this magazine one time and was just flicking through it. And I just opened up this double page spread on Bitbar and it was just like explaining wow. how to use it and how to write, plug it and. And honestly, that was like a thing. That was like a big deal for me then. That I'd got into this magazine. What magazine was it? It was Mac format then. So, but it's the same publisher. I don't know if you have that in the US. That yeah, Mac World. I'm not sure about Mac mm-hmm. Former, but yeah, it's Future Publishing, I think. Maybe UK based, but okay. well, I just that had to be quite a feeling. Yeah, it was. I mean, I couldn't believe it. It was, uh, I mean, I don't really know how it feels, actually. It's that's one of those I can't really articulate. Did you frame it? it? Did you hold on to it? Is it underneath your pillow? What did you do with the artifact? Cause... I took a picture of it. and then, That's it? Yeah. And then my wife threw it out by mistake. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So At least you got the picture. I got a picture. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And that's that's cool. all. I'm not very sentimental, really, so I'd, uh, you know I don't mind that. But it was just just the fact that it was in there kind of blew me away. So, but to answer your question, yes, X Bar comes along and people like people it. like it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I actually Ooh. got the you know the CEO of GitHub, Nat Friedman. Oh, Nat Friedman. Yeah, yeah. Nat Friedman got in touch through a friend and wanted to have a chat, and he just. Loved it. Loves the project. Like, this was also very nice. It's another one of those moments. And he liked what he said was like the taste of the design of those plugins. And it's because of things like, you know, you have to choose the refresh rate of a plugin. And you do that by including it in the file name. So you can do like five seconds, you know, file. So if it's like some clipboard plugin, it'll be clipboard.5s.sh if it's a bash script. And that will refresh every five seconds. Mm. And the fact that you can write plugins in any language, you know, it's like this kind of like very minimalist API really over what you can do. So that was another moment that was quite meaningful when, you know, because GitHub is, I think, a great platform for developers. And so that felt like that was some good kudos. Validation. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I mean, paying attention to to the, not that this is a little project, but it's not like Kubernetes or this gigantic community. Like it's a indie project, indie dev, you know, with its own motivations. It's not like this super enterprise thing and he's only paying attention to, you know, the big things, so to speak, you know, monetarily. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the fact that it enabled developers, which is obviously a big focus at GitHub, but it was something you mentioned was it's almost like just by making a different decision, which in the beginning was just happened by accident, but 
just that change in the way that you think about it unlocks things for other people and enables other people. And then that multiplying effect that you can have always appealed to me. And Nat also mentioned the same thing. And that was, I like that. I like the fact that you can do this almost the same work that you were going to do anyway, but just with that attitude or that slight twist on it, you can unlock things for others and enable others, I think is nice, especially for in open source projects. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Square. For our listeners out there building applications with Square, if you haven't yet, you need to check out their API Explorer. It's an interactive interface you can use to build, view, and send HTTP requests that call Square APIs. API Explorer lets you test your requests using actual sandbox or production resources inside your account, such as customers, orders, and catalog objects. You can use the API Explorer to quickly populate sandbox or production resources in your account. Then you can interact with those new resources inside the seller dashboard. For example, if you use API Explorer to create a customer in your production or sandbox environment, the customer is displayed in the production or sandbox seller dashboard. This tool is so powerful and will likely become your best friend when interacting with, testing, or playing with your applications inside Square. Check the show notes for links to the docs, the API Explorer, and the developer account signup page, or head to developer.squareup.com slash explore slash square to jump right in. Again, check for links in the show notes or head to developer.squareup.com slash explore slash square to play right now. So to me, the coolest thing about this project is how extensible it is. Two aspects. First of all, there's hundreds of plugins already written to just be used. So if you want something in your menu bar, likelihood of it being in there is high. Secondly, if it's not, you can just totally hack it together yourself, right? Mm. So we talked a little bit about the plugin architecture, how it all works. I want to play a little game I call Can Xbar Do This? <laughs> so I've compiled a list. Doesn't need a theme Some too. of these things are existing plugins. So it's part quiz. Does Matt know his plugin directory? And it's also part uh, honest question. Can it do this? <laughs> Could I get it to do this? And so I'll hit the list here, Matt. These are kind of yes or no questions, but feel free to elaborate. Okay. Yes or no won't cover it. Can we play some dramatic like game show music in the background, like a bed? Let me just check the budget. No, no, we cannot. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Can XBar do this? Number one, can it show me the charging status of my BMW? I do believe it can. I think I've seen that one. That would be correct, except for I do not have a BMW, so ah. the answer is actually no. But yes, it can do that. Yeah. <laughs> can it show me my Robinhood portfolio? Yes, I remember merging a Robinhood plugin. So yeah. That's correct. Think, yeah. Mm. Oh, I'm on. I'm, I'm nailing this too. Yeah, you are nailing it. Two for two. Can X bar show me my current weight? Ooh, well, it's very polite application, so I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> Can it? I don't know. No, I don't think so. I'll say no. I don't think so. Now mm. the question is, how would we get that done? Mm. I think it's possible. Apple Where would you get the weight from? Uh, some sort of smart scale. Mm -hmm. I, would, I think you would have to interact with a smart scale for sure. 
And some kind of API, maybe, to access yeah. it. Yeah. So that means the next one is, can it show me your current weight? I guess that's also false. Oh. Okay. <laughs> next one. Can it check my Gmail for me? Yes. There's lots of email. In fact, email has its own category. You can see all the plugins at xbarapp.com. And I made a kind of menu bar that contains all the, the category of all the plugins. It just mirrors the repo. So it's like, it's very lo-fi. But yeah, there are lots of different email mm-hmm. things in there too. So yes, I think it's yes. Can Xbar buy and sell Bitcoin each time Elon Musk tweets? <laughs> you could make it do that if it doesn't okay. already. Yeah, there are also loads of crypto in fact, that might be the biggest area. Crypto. Probably. Yeah. Because crypto um, people got to know their, they have to know their numbers in real time. Yeah. Because you never know when one tweet is going to destroy <laughs> your right. future. You know, what's ironic to me about crypto holders is they all talk about how they're longtime holders, but they have to know the price for every five minutes. It's like, well, if you're holding <laughs> for the long term, yeah. what's the it next matter. minutes matter? Mm. It's uh, all about marketing at that point, really. Yeah. Can Xbar Rick roll me in 4K? <laughs> I guess I the answer know. would depend. Can it play a YouTube video or you said there's image support? Yeah, it supports images, not oh, videos. videos. No. Okay. Uh, so no feature request. Okay. Okay. Can Xbar generate passwords? Mm, I haven't seen that. Oh, your can first it? miss. It actually oh. can generate passwords. There's can a it? password generator plugin oh. at xbarapp.com. Oh, I thought that awesome. was a cool one. Yeah. You know, how does you have to grab a new password lots of times. I don't know. I hope it's running. Where's that one under? Utilities, System? maybe? Or tools? System. Uh, now, here's yeah, one. Password generator right at the top. There it is. Mm. Come on, Matt. Come on, Matt. Can it show me how many people are currently on changelog.com? What, you mean the Google Analytics or some of the analytics? Well, we use Plausible, but it, does it support Google Analytics? Yes, it does support Google Analytics. Nice. And we, I believe Plausible has an API now, so we could probably wire that one together. Yeah. What was the question again? Can it show how many people are currently on changelog.com? Like, what if that was right in your menu bar? Mm, okay. yeah. There you go. That's nice. Talk about obsessing over numbers. Yeah, that would mm. be cool. Can Xbar tell me random dad jokes? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> You're absolutely incorrect. It, it can. Well, it has a dad joke one. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was the most intriguing It does one so me. much. I know. Yeah. Actually, honestly... You wouldn't believe some of them. The clipboard ones. I could. Are my I was favorite. very impressed. There's a lot of clipboard. Well, there's a few clipboard-related plugins which do great things. One of them's a Base64 encoder, so you can copy some file or you mm-hmm. copy something, and then you know it runs periodically. So I think they have it to run every second or whatever it is. So okay. then anything in your clipboard, it will Base64 encode, and then you can just go and copy it immediately from the menu. That was one. The other one was the clipboard yeah. history, which has been in there for a while, which shows you your last 10 copies and pastes. Yeah, so that's, that's correct. So mm. you, and you can switch between them as well. That's nice. I thought that was just really clever because that's like almost an application in its own right. I was going to say it's replacing because I have an application. I think it's called Copy Clip, which is basically that functionality alone. And yeah. it has some niceties where like you can set how many it'll keep and it'll mm. automatically put it back into your clipboard when you click on it and stuff like that. Yeah, but if you could replace a bunch of little utilities with X bar plus plugins, that's kind of a nice trade, if you ask me. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it is. Th- and, and clocks and music controls and things like that are all in there. The time ones are very interesting because there's some funny ones and then there's some really useful ones. It's quite useful for... Like, there's a Unix time one that somebody submitted ages ago. And if you want to know the time in Unix time all the time, you can. It's right there. Yeah. There you go. So does it only run on a schedule or can you actually interact? Like, could you click a button inside XBar and trigger a thing to run? Yes. And you can even wire up a menu item to tell it to refresh as well. There's actually quite a lot you can do to the menu items themselves, including like you can open a, a URL, you can run a script. That means you can actually, and if you have some state somewhere, which you just is up to the plugin, how it does that, you can actually build quite interesting interactive applications that turn out to be, you know, quite surprising. Yeah. As well. People in space. I'm excited to hear what our community of listeners come up with once they mm-hmm. start playing with this thing, because the sky really is the limit. Let's get back to this list here. Can XBar manage Adam's pie hole? <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, tell them about your pie hole. Well, pie hole is, uh, it runs on a Raspberry Pi. Yeah. And it's essentially a DNS, essentially for, you know, blocking all the ads, essentially. It's called a pie hole because it runs on a Raspberry Pi primarily, but you can probably run on anything, honestly. Mm. Yeah. But it's best installed upon a Raspberry Pi because it's a small device. Public internet network, and you point your DNS there first. You you know as your lookup, and it filters out all the you know ad tracking and right. You know all the retargeting stuff, mm-hmm. and there's a master list. It's all open source on GitHub. And how do you manage it now? Is it like a web admin or something for it? Yeah, it's just at an IP address, which I won't disclose. But <laughs> yeah, you go to this local IP address essentially, and it has its own web login. You can log into it. I'm pretty sure there'd be an API to it. So I'm assuming that you probably could. The most, you know, actually that would be useful because the one thing I do often, or at least often enough, is log into it to disable it for a duration of time. They have a drop down where you can say disable for five minutes, 10 minutes, because you might want to browse a site. There's links that break because of the tracking. And temporarily you want to like, okay, I'm cool with this link here. Let me do my thing pie hole. You sort of want to stop it. Mm. But it's a network wide catcher for the whole network yeah. so no matter what device you're not doing this stuff on individual devices and every once in a while you want to manage at least toggling it on and off or disabling it temporarily so that would be kind of cool to have as a bit uh right. an export thing mm-hmm. well let me answer it for him because matt didn't know what pie hole was so he will not be able to answer there is a pie hole manager plugin nice oh. so yes you can manage that and i can see where that would be a very confusing question not having any context there matt so yeah i appreciate you blame you just taking that with grace pie hole is your mouth isn't it <laughs> not <laughs> worth yes it. exactly yes yeah, yeah it's pie a pun on your mouth. mouth yeah yeah makes sense so if yeah. a lot of it's round Adam, that would also have been correct it's because your yes. mouth is yeah. round well, no, it's not because it? it's round it's because it's where you put your pie you put it in the pie hole I thought it's to do with pythagoras well that's sometimes yeah sometimes <laughs> Can XBar show and manage homebrew services? Let me just answer this one because I'm excited. Yes, you can manage your homebrew services. That's a really cool feature. Mm. Yes. And so then I thought, you know, at this point, I was like, you know, okay, there's a lot of stuff I can do. But do I want all this in my menu bar? Mm. And so at that point, you sort of get overloaded and you got to untuck and hide and things like that. Yeah. Then I say, well, does this really make sense as a menu bar thing? You know, could you, you know, give it a tiny UI versus just simply a menu bar? So maybe you can talk about the, you know, how people push the limits of this and how maybe your menu bar will become super cluttered. 
Yeah, that is a fair point. And really, it's kind of up to people, I think. But with the image support, like it supports images. And the way that works is you base 64 encode the image and literally print it out in a special way. So everything is just text-based and simple. But people have done some amazing things where they are dynamically generating and then encoding images and things. But you can do it for, so it looks like an icon in the top. So you can actually keep it nice and neat for those times. Or just don't install them all. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That's another way. Well, they're just mm. so useful. That's kind of like when Firefox yeah. first added extensions. And I mean, mm. I probably had 75 <laughs> extensions installed, you know, because yeah, my could. Firefox got very slow and I got mad at Firefox. And I'm like, wait a second, Jared, you are also in control of these extensions. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to install every extension that comes out. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah, there's one called plugin that's is it up, which you give it a URL and it just pings it and tells you if it's up or not. Do you know what I mean? It's like nice. it's so simple. But Cardi B would tell you. Yeah, she would, wouldn't she? Anyways. Is she related to Jason P? She might be. You have to ask her. <laughs> Cardi B and Jason P. Oh, I'd love to see those two collaborating. Uh, collab. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk a bit about you know the effort into this and maybe any commercial plans for this? You know being supported as a community developer. I know you got a GitHub sponsor. You've got mm. some tracking in terms of a goal. You've got 54% towards your 50 sponsors goal. What are you doing there? How are things working on that front? Is it important to you? Yeah, it's interesting that actually it was Nat Friedman that said you should set up sponsors on GitHub. I mean, when mm. the project was first around, there wasn't a such thing as GitHub sponsors. And, and so he's a sponsor. He is. Is, that. He is indeed a sponsor. He's, I think he's that, my biggest sponsor, actually. Would that be the $1,024 a month, a bit creepy now, sponsor <laughs> level? <laughs> uh, well, I don't, what I love about this, uh, let me take the mic here real quick. 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, 256, 512, and 1024. That's your tiers which is just super cool yeah it's and i don't even say the subject the lines for each of those yeah go on do you want to do you want no, to a lot. i'd love to hear it's it a lot. i'll let it's you do it pick your favorite three uh a succulent chinese meal <laughs> <laughs> That's your stuff makes our stuff better your contributions are really making a difference to us keep doing what you're doing you're really helping us yeah a couple of coffees or one coffee in a fancy place yeah, that's a few. Some of some places, Cheers. coffees are more expensive. Pretty sure, thank you. It's, I like the two dollars, which is a tip of the hat. But four dollars is two tips of the hat or a tip from two hats. <laughs> that is good. <laughs> that is good. So that's what I love about you, Matt. Too is this humor you bring to just life in general, and I think your tears are an example of that. So thank you. That stuff. Thank you. Yeah, it's a coping mechanism, really. So it's like, if sure. I look like I'm not taking it too seriously. I can't really be too embarrassed if things go bad. <laughs> I would think that that would be seriously not serious then, because that's serious enough to think through the, that detail and be that funny. Right. But then not serious enough because it's not like corporate enterprise sponsor. Yeah. You've made my meal today. I don't know. It's just a bit more. You know, yeah. It's, it's just very funny. I don't take it too seriously. And I don't, you know, I use the sponsorship there. My idea is to distribute that to other people contributing because I do want to keep the project alive. And there is work to do. It's actually not, doesn't have a, a major release yet of XBAR. So there are still some things that are being worked out. 
and there's still some bugs and things in it. So if people are interested in contributing, I'm definitely interested in that. And the sponsorship will be used in some way to facilitate that. It's a tough one because like the tax is quite interesting on sponsorship money and stuff like that. So there are some mm-hmm. things to figure out, but I think I've got it sorted. I hope GitHub does something about that at some point, because that's what Open Collective has done well, was remove that portion, because it's generally, this is getting into the details, but it's generally some sort of fiscal sponsor. We talked with Pia, which we'll have out before this episode, Mm. uh, so you can go back into our feed and listen to that with Pia from Open Collective and all the details around that, but it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing to support a developer, and probably definitely more difficult to support a developer to support other developers by way of, you know, that's yes. challenging. Yeah, I do think GitHub will end up enabling that at least so that you can, you know, the sponsorship for a project, because at the moment everyone's sponsoring me on that. Not everyone. In fact, if you want to sponsor me, please do. But people are sponsoring me personally, and it would be better if you could sponsor the project and then we could somehow split that between the contributors. So yeah, I'm not trying to make money from x bar that's not really what it was ever for i did get sent loads of socks at one point because in the readme i had a an amazon wish list because people were asking like can i give you some send you some bitcoin or something i needed some socks at the time but then i ended up getting about 200 pairs of socks in the post so i've (laughs) seriously yeah i've just got and it was just the same pair of socks 200 times i've still got loads of them I've got red these red socks. So you'll always see me wearing red socks. You won't always see me wearing red socks. Lifetime supply. There you go. Yeah. That was... <laughs> Problem solved. Yeah. yeah. Socks all around. So that's good. Then Your goal then is to, at least currently with sponsors, is to generate enough sponsorship of you to give back to those who are contributing to XBAR. Yeah. I really want it to be used to make, you know, keep XBAR alive. There will always be work to do. And there were lots of feature requests which didn't quite fit into, you know, you want it to be simple, but maybe there's some places where it can be more complicated and that's okay. So there's a tough kind of balance there with feature set, as there always is in these kinds of projects. But like the Wales project, I'd like to get that some sponsorship from this as well, because it wouldn't have been possible without that project. And yeah, and then it's just a case of use it and build your own plugins and share what you've built. You know, tweet me. I love seeing people, the things they've built. Mm-hmm. And if you can, then also contribute that to the repo, Xbar plugins repo, and we'll put the information in the show notes, I'm sure. Yeah. And yeah, please get involved. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, your creativity really is your only limit in this. Well, to get more Matt, you can go to GoTime and listen to GoTime and get weekly doses or hits or tips from Matt. Xbar.com. Is that right? Xbarapp.com. Xbarapp.com. Thank you for correcting me. Or also github.com slash Matt Ryer. Well, hang on. You'll edit it, won't no. you? <laughs> just roll with it, right? Oh, I thought you'd. Just... You're the other one who always says that. They'll, they'll edit this out. Yeah. They'll edit this out. You know that they never happens, do. don't you? And they never do. Do you listen to the shows? Because, you know, every time you say that, it never happens. <laughs> nope. So, we just, so, we, so just, we, we just don't say it anymore because we know it's mm-hmm. not going to happen. I know. I actually think the the edited, when you edit the podcast, the live shows are always more raw and, you know, obviously yeah. you make mistakes, but it's not just the mistakes. It's, I think you do such a good job when it gets edited together. 
the conversations just flow really well. I like to also encourage people to listen live and join in live because yeah, it's so much fun. We're just hanging out. It really yeah. feels like you're just hanging out with friends and then in a week's time in your podcast app, there's a little podcast. Oh yeah, we talked about that last week. It's great. Well, Matt, we really appreciate you coming on the changelog. Of course, we appreciate everything you do on GoTime and in the Go community and the open source community and even your zany music videos you put out and just the entertainment <laughs> that you bring is such a fun aspect of yeah. developer life. So we appreciate you coming on the show and all those other things I just said. Yeah, thanks for having me. My pleasure. You're welcome back. Anytime you rewrite X-Bar, come back. <laughs> Alright, that's it for this episode of The Changelog. Thank you for tuning in. We have a bunch of podcasts for you at changelog.com. You should check out. Subscribe to the master feed. Get them all at changelog.com slash master. Get everything we ship in a single feed. And I want to personally invite you to join the community at changelog.com slash community. It's free to join. Come hang with us in Slack. There are no imposters and everyone is welcome. Huge thanks again to our partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for making all of our awesome beats. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week.